Howdy, Namaste, G'day, Bunaziwa, Guten Tag, Top of the Morning, Hola, Zdrastvoichi, and Hello, and welcome to the third Future of Advertising podcast. Those greetings were from my lovely international listeners. I was rather surprised the other day when I checked my web stats and saw that not everyone's from the UK, so welcome my international friends. And you may be glad to hear that the next few podcasts have more of an international focus too. Or you may not. No pressure. But back to this podcast, because it's a beauty. I'm going to be speaking to one of my advertising heroes, Billy Mohwini, who's the only person I know who's joined JWT four times first as a trainee art director, and finally as executive creative director. We've also got the top five tips on social media from Nathan McDonald, who's one of the co-founders of We Are Social. And, as usual, my 11-year-old daughter will be passing judgment on the fruits of the industry. God help you. But first we've got an interview with Mike Nutley, editor-in-chief of New Media Age magazine, or NMA, as you probably call it. A few weeks ago, I headed to the NMA offices armed with some yummy biscuits and a bunch of questions and a microphone. Um, I've previously apologised for my distortion on the recordings, but uh, the initial distortion here is nothing short of excited exuberance. So deal with it. Here's our first interview. I'm sitting in the NMA offices with Michael Nutley, who is the editor-in-chief. Hello, Mike. Hi. Um, you've been editor at the NMA for more than 11 years now, uh, according to what's your profile on, on the site. Um, so you've seen a lot of changes in the industry during that time. What would you say were the biggest ones in the last, uh, the last 10 years or so? Um, I think the interesting, the interesting changes are around are around adoption, are around... And are, are around um, the unexpected consequences of, of digital media. I think that's you know that's it's, that's kind of always the most interesting stuff is the stuff that nobody quite expected to happen. So there was a whole there was a whole sort of slew of stuff um, a few years back when when everybody realised that digital media had given ordinary people control over me, over their media experience certainly online and the, and that actually the the gate you know the the, the role of the gatekeepers completely media had completely changed and so suddenly um you know, actually you know if if you don't want to see stuff you don't see it you can completely um erase it from your from your viewing your viewing listening your media experience so that was i think that was a, that was the, the the first really big change and then the second the second thing I and mean, it kind of looks like a big change but but it was always there, which was which is social media, and and you know, I mean you know I, I wasn't you know I wasn't around in the in the earliest days of of, you know, of the commercial the commercial internet sort of ninety five, but stuff like GeoCities was was social media, um, and and so it's always been there. It's just it's just gradually got more more and more slick and more and more user friendly to the point where suddenly it's you know it's the biggest thing on the um, on the planet. And and that kind of I think the kind of the realization that this thing is happening and, and has suddenly become absolutely absolutely massive um, is the is the other really big change. Mm. So, do you see any big issues at the moment that the, the industry is battling with? Is there is there anything that is causing an issue or could potentially cause an issue in the next uh, sort of foreseeable future? I think the I think the industry has got um, a number of kind of of, of concerns uh, or things that it should be concerned about. I think you know the first is the first is the question of whether whether the the days of the advertising campaign or, or is it, it, it's a kind of a change from 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 a from a campaign mentality to an always-on mentality. Clearly, there will continue to be um, advertising campaigns because people will want to um, achieve large-scale reach very quickly, and 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 that sort of speaks to a campaign kind of philosophy or mentality. But most of the communication, I, I think, is going to be is going to be, or most of the interesting communication is going to be done. Um, you know, day by day, it's going to so it's moving from a kind of an always-on approach. So moving from a from a 
uh, a campaign approach to an always-on approach. And I think you know that's that's going to be a huge challenge for for people who've 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 been trained and have spent their lives thinking about thinking about things in terms of campaigns. Thinking about okay, we will do this thing. It will last you know a short num a short number of weeks, and then it will stop. You know, it's now it's much more about well, you know, we've got to be on, we've got to be around all the time. I was speaking at a, um, a social PR event uh, a little while ago, and somebody said a really interesting thing, which was that that people people um, people who are sort of social media activists or critics uh, critics of, of of brands who want to who want to you know um, criticize or want to want to you know cause trouble for brands for whatever reason know that most brands aren't watching at the weekends and in the evenings so that's when they that's when they'll start that's them when they'll they'll start their fires so if you're you know so by the time you get in on Monday morning this stuff is you know, this stuff has had two days to or well, you know two and a half days to be to be you know spreading so by the time you get on a Monday morning you know it's it's everywhere and you know it, so you you know so increasingly if you're going to be monitoring what people are saying about about your brand um, you're going to need to be always on and most you know most um, you know, most agencies are just not set up to have that capability. They're, they're, the way they're resourced doesn't allow them to work in that way. So that's going to be that's going to be a huge challenge. It's also you know that's where the you know I suspect that's where the action's going to be. You know, it's going to be yeah. As I say, there will still be advertising campaigns clearly, but the action, the interesting stuff, is going to be happening. It's going to be happening in this kind of in, in conversational marketing, in, 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 in this kind of always-on world that brings together that brings together sort of PR, social media, um, advertising, um, and, and reputation management, all these kinds of things, bundles them together and 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 demands that you engage with with people much more on their own terms, which again is not something is not something that classical advertising and, and people who've been trained in that world have ever really had to do. Um, there is massive, there's still massive technological change going on, you know, there's, this is, you know, there is no sense of an end game being in sight where you can sort of say, okay, um, okay, we've had the disruption, it's over. I mean, this is something, um, you know, Simon Waldman, uh, former head of digital at The Guardian, um, wrote a book about this a little while ago and he made a really good point, which is, which is, you know, just because you've 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 adapted to one wave of disruption, doesn't mean you're out of jail because there'll be another one along, you know, really soon. And so you've got to constantly be you've got to constantly be responding to all this all this disruption, all these new platforms. Yeah, you know, it seems incomprehensible, but you know, things like YouTube and Facebook, you know, have only been around you know four or five years. So you know, and and that's a massive upheaval in 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 the community. You know, the biggest. The biggest media property of our of our time has only been around for a few years, you know. So, so you know these are you know the, the, so so just being agile enough to to um, to respond to these kinds of changes um, is is going to be uh, is going to be a huge challenge. You know, um, customers are uh, you know, customers ordinary people are still more advanced in their in their adoption of interactive media than most agencies and most brands. So, you know, the, people are figuring out how to do stuff, they're trying new stuff all the time, and they're, you know, they can be very agile because there's only one of them. Um, whereas, you know, if you've got to sort of go through the process and say, right, we're going to do, we're going to do this, we're going to make this work, we're going to try this new thing, you know, you've got to go through all the processes of an organisation and that makes you less, you know, that makes you less manoeuvrable, less agile. And, you know, and so it's, you're always going to be you know, the, 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 there's always a risk that you're going to be behind your consumers. You're going to be behind the curve, and I think, I think that creates a huge set of problems for both, you know, for for marketers and for and for agencies. You know, then the, then there's a whole, and then that kind of raises questions about, you know, what kind of what kind of organisations are going to be best suited to to meet the to meet the demands of marketing communications in the broadest sense over the next few years. And do you see any agencies who have got approach that looks as if it's going to work at the moment? Is there anyone who's addressing this issue? It's interesting. I've just um, I've just been doing some work around around integration 
you know, whether whether you should whether you should as a marketer you should go to um, an integrated agency or whether you should go to best as a, a series of best of breed, um, and and the the, the 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 excitement at the moment seems to be around around integration. And certainly, you know, I wrote I write the introduction to the NMA Top 100 every um, every year, and certainly the, the, the all the discussions then uh, were around were around integration and, and and the value there. But having having sort of worked on this worked on this piece um, just recently, there's a there's a there's a definite feeling that that actually things may be changing again, and that. And the you know in order to be able to deliver you know that, this kind of agile response you know, it's got to be you've got to be relatively small you know relatively you know relatively specialised. I interviewed uh, Ian MacArthur, who's creative director of the NSPCC, and and he was he was advancing this idea that marketers we're just getting to the point where the first generation of marketers are are dig- digital natives. And are completely, you know, this this stuff is complete. They completely understand this world. Yeah, as consumers, they consume. They they they've grown up with this stuff as consumers of interactive media, and they've looked and they are, you know, they completely understand it. And so, if they as they bring that understanding to their to their workplace, the demands they're going to place on on their agencies are going to be much much greater than they ever were before. You know, whereas before marketers were, you know, marketers were sort of relying on their their agencies to kind of educate them in the new technologies. Um, now, you know, Ian's Ian's theory is that marketers are going to leapfrog over their agencies if the agencies aren't careful. Certainly, agencies are going to have to raise their game to be more interesting and better informed, and and because market the marketers are going to be. Are going to be, you know, leapfrogging over them, um, which is a really long-winded way of not answering your question, um, because um, the simple answer is I'm not sure. I'm not sure if anybody's absolutely on the money at the moment. I know there's lots of people who are who are doing really interesting work in 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 different spaces, but I think it's it's it just feels like so much of a work in progress that. That I'm not. I'm not sure every, anybody's really, anybody's really right on it. Yeah. The, do you think more of the dysfunction has been up until now with with the client or with the agencies themselves and not dealing with this issue? I think it's. I think it's probably. It's probably a bit of both. I think. I think clients have. I mean, and, 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 and you know, this is this is this is you know, this is a massive problem um you know understanding you know maintaining an understanding of 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 you know the changing consumer behaviors changing you know changing technologies when you've got a legacy you know, you've got these massive legacies again somebody at this is katie howell actually from immediate future was talking about legacy this same conference and she was saying that you know marketers have to deal with with a legacy legacy of 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 systems they have to deal with a legacy of staff, so people who who are who are kind of uncomfortable in this world, and they have to deal with a legacy of skills, which is that you know most of the people you know don't necessarily have the skills that they need to to operate in these new changing environments. So they, you've got all this, and it, it's it's it kind of made me realise. You know, I've been you know NMA has been, and I have particularly been very critical of this kind of neophilia. In the in the industry, this kind of desperate desire to to, to latch onto the new shiny thing. So, oh, our, our competitors have got a Facebook page. We've got to have one. Not not you know. Okay, here is here is our business problem. Is is a Facebook page the right solution? And I've been very critical of that. But actually, when you look at it in the in in, in those kind of legacy terms, it's it's entirely understandable why you as a marketer would want to just go, say, look. Give me a Facebook page because the 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 time required to, to, to get that up and happening is going to be far shorter than than trying to wrestle with all your legacy issues. Um, it's going to be cheaper, and you'll probably get a decent return on it. Yeah, you know, with you know with a bit of luck, you know there are enough people there are enough people in the um, 
in, in you know on Facebook or in 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 these different places that you can get a result out of it, Ra rather than having to go back and re-engineer your website to make sure it's to make sure it's up to scratch. Because you know your website, you know websites kind of lag. Talking, going back to this idea of lagging lagging the consumer, websites lag massively because it's you know it's just. They just they just take so long to develop, so long to to, to 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 sort of push through the system that actually trying to trying to push through a new website takes ages and is just incredibly hard work. So you know, I'm sure this is part of the reason why why people are going to going to Facebook pages instead of campaign sites, for example, because you know yeah actually we can do it quick, we can do it cheap, we'll get some and we'll get some. We'll get a result out of it. So I think you know, for clients, this is you know, this is a this is a big issue, and I think you know, and I think you know, agencies, every agency that you talk to, when you when you kind of raise this issue, they say, no, we don't we don't do that. When when somebody comes to us and says, uh, we want a you know, we want a Facebook page or a or a you know or a you know an iPhone app, we say to them, well, what's the business problem you're trying to solve? But then you know. You still get rubbish apps and rubbish pages built that nobody uses. So, so clearly, not everybody's telling the truth. Um, but then, you know, agencies have agencies have got to make money. They've got to, and, and and you know, if your client comes to you and says, "Well, this is what I want," you know, what are you gonna? What are you gonna? At the end of the day, you know, you've got to be pragmatic. So, I think, I think it's a, I think it's a problem for both sides, and it's it's it's. It's a problem caused by this kind of rapid acceleration of, of technology and 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 the fact that people are behaving differently. I mean, you know, it was really interesting listening to Dave Trot on your your last podcast. Uh, I thought it was, it was a great interview, really interesting. But I'm not. You know, people are behaving. People are behaving in a different way around media now to the way they were behaving. You know, they, they're the the tools that are available to them are are different now. And yes, there are. You know, yeah. God, I can't. Me telling Dave Trot about advertising. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, yes. I mean, he's absolutely. You know. The, the, yes, there are. There are things that. Yeah, you know, the the the, ba the basic fundamentals do remain the same, but I'm I'm you know the rules and the rules the you know the rules you know the be engaging, be funny, be interesting, be valuable. It's all, it's all the same, but there has been a change. You know, the you know there is there is a difference between people moaning down the pub about their car insurance to people moaning about their car insurance to a potential audience of. Thousands or even millions, you know. There, the, there is a visibility. The, the, the visibility of those discussions is 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 massively different, and I think it requires a di and it, and the immediacy of those discussions is different, and I think that requires a different kind of response from from marketers and advertisers. Um, and I think you know, and, and 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 they have to get over those problems. They have to find ways of addressing that. I mean, really interesting. I I went to a presentation by Dove um, a few years back uh, now and they were talking about the campaign for real beauty and it was interesting because the, the person they, that was on the on the platform doing the discussion was someone from customer services and you sort of think well you know, I certainly thought you know well I don't want to hear the customer services person I want to hear the I want to hear the, the creative guy who was who came up with all that stuff because you know it's a fantastic campaign and and it turned out that this the, the, this woman who was from the the customer service department fascinating and she said one of the most important things they did in the whole campaign for real beauty was link customer services back into marketing she said, she said prior to that it'd been like a dead end that just sent out samples to disaffected grannies you know people complained and and it was their job as customer services just to say oh, I'm very sorry you're upset have a have a free sample and they took that, and, and 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 you know, they said the key thing they did was to was to feed all that information, which was going nowhere, back into the marketing department. And so suddenly, you know, you 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 close that loop. You've got all this information coming back in, which you can act on and you can use. And and, and you know, this is the sort of stuff. And that that's pre-social media, really. You hadn't really taken off at that stage. Um, so, and, and and what's happening with social media is it's just it's it's. 
it's kind of making that happen. That thing that was so important for, for, for Dove is actually happening by default in every company because the marketing department are seeing those those complaints. They're seeing that that, that somebody's you know somebody's unhappy because their pizza hasn't turned up yet, or or they don't like they don't like their laptop or wherever it happens to be. And it's sort of it's forcing the closure of that loop, which is which in turn is kind of forcing people to ask questions like, well, who should be in charge of social media within the organisation? And that's then. Yeah, you know, that's then forcing change, and you know, change is incredibly difficult to to do, but it's got to happen. Yeah, um, <clears throat> there's one of the things that uh, I've heard people talking about recently is that consumers aren't seeing this difference between digital and analog. They're watching television while they're on their laptop. They're reading a magazine and commenting about it on Facebook to their friends. Um, is this something that the industry is addressing enough from, from what you're seeing? It's really interesting. When I, when I started on NMA, all the talk um, around interactive TV was about two-screen interactivity. Uh, and there'd been this huge study done in Florida the year before, and everybody was talking about that. And it just went away. And everybody stopped talking about it. And then, it, and it took it took the kind of proliferation of cheap laptops to kind of bring it all back again. And now that's that's the kind of default interactive TV. And I think I think it's absolutely right. You know, people people don't people don't see the the distinction. I mean, it used to be you know there used to be this discussion around around e-commerce um, uh, when I when I first started on NMA about whether you should have everything if, if your 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 online store should have everything in it that was on your on the shelves of your real store and and there were all these arguments going on and then suddenly somebody you know people started to realize that actually customers don't care they want you know they want what they want when they want it and they don't care if your business strategy is not to put everything or or your or but for various technical reasons you're unable to put everything on the on the on the on the virtual shelves they don't care they just want to buy that thing that they know that you sell and if you can't you know and they either know that they sell you sell it on your website but they can't get it in the on the high street or vice versa they don't care and it's you know it's it's been that kind of thing has been borne out um, in every other point at every other touch point they don't care they don't want they don't why should they care about about whether you can you can you know deliver um, how you're delivering your messages across different channels frankly they don't care about the most of the messages anyway um, and and so why should they care about the fact that you can't make them join up you know they uh, you know they're not going to forgive you for that they're just going to go somewhere else they just want it to work they want they want the, they want the information they want the, they want the communication they want when they want it in that across that language. and i think yeah this is and this is why this is why integration has been such a such a big deal and and the people who get it right you, you can see them reaping the benefits i mean a great example is um, is the stuff that um, the stuff that Sarchi's have been doing for um, T-Mobile? You know, they where uh, particularly the Trafalgar Square stuff, where they they recruited people through social media, brought them together for a physical event, filmed it, turned it into turned it into it so that so that one output is a TV commercial, which is you know which is you know big reach, you know um, immediacy bang done um but then they repurpose it through the the, the, con the rest of the content through other channels so you can see other bits and, and you do that you you can do that through 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 digital channels so you've got you've got kind of the the bit people can find the bits they're most interested in um through other through 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 other channels and you can use the you can use the tv commercial as almost as a barker for more content should people want to explore it even more using the con using the using the, the the channels to deliver the kind of content that people want within those channels and understanding what the limitations are and what the expectations are and then being able to say okay we can we can we can use them properly to deliver this to this message yeah and some people are doing it really really well but but there's an awful lot of people who, you know, who for whom integration is still just making sure they've got the same strap line on the on the on the banner as is on the on the on the poster. Michael, thank you very much indeed for your time. Oh, you're very welcome.
actually, that's not the entire interview. Mike had some other brilliant stuff to say, but this podcast is already way too long. It's over an hour. Sorry about that. But you can hear it in the soon-to-be-released Bonus Leftovers podcast, which will have some unheard stuff from Rory Sutherland and Billy McWhinney too. But next, my lovely 11-year-old daughter shares her thoughts on some recent advertising work. Never mind a DNA Day or a One Show. Getting the thumbs up from this little lady is all the recognition you need. Advertising, schmadvertising. Advertising, schmadvertising. Go and find some genius you can steal from YouTube. To win yourself a pencil or a little gold cube. Advertising. Kicking off this episode's advertising review with KitKat's YouTube channel. This is done by JWT in London. Let's have a look at this. So in that we show a little bit of what seems to be the latest television ad with some wrecking balls. But what happens is the wrecking ball comes in and it destroys the YouTube page. Do you think that was any good? No. Did you like it? No. Tell me what you think. It was stupid. Stupid? Um, was it funny? No. Was it clever? No. Would it make you want to buy a Kit Kat? No. I just buy so, it anyway. <laughs> thumbs up or thumbs down? Down. Down? How far down? All the way. Oh my goodness. Bad news, JWT. It looks as if that one sucks. Next up, we've got an advert, which is from an agency called Victors and Spoils. And it is a crowdsourced television ad for Harley-Davidson motorcycles. Let's have a look at this one. So what did you think of that ad? Well, it was quite good. Was it quite interesting? Yeah. So we had lots of people there, all stuck in cages, cars driving around with cages around them, people walking down the street with cages around them, and then you get a motorbike and it doesn't have a cage. What do you think that says about the motorbike? There's more freedom. Exactly. And does that make a motorbike seem like an attractive option? Yeah. So are you going to be a biker when you grow up? Only cyclist. That's good. That's what I want to hear. So, would you say a thumbs up for that ad or a thumbs down? Yeah. Somewhere in the middle. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I thought it was quite good, but you're the judge here, so that's a somewhere in the middle for Harley Davidson. And last up, we've got Diet Coke's advert. I can see your reaction to this one already. <laughs> we've got Diet Coke's television advert with little puppets in it. Now, of course, all the links will be on the website, so you'll be able to see these ads as well. But here we go. Diet Coke's puppet ad. So, lots of bobble-headed puppets uh, dancing in an office. Was that a good ad or a bad ad? Weird ad. It was weird, but do you think it will encourage people to buy Diet Coke? No. Do you think it was fun? No. Is it something you'd want to see again? No. Is it something you'd tell people about? Not really. Is it something that you would rather change the channel when that one came on? Yep. So, thumbs up, thumbs down, someplace in the middle. Oh, a resounding thumbs down. I don't think it can go any further down than that. Okay, bad news, Diet Coke. So thank you very much for your opinions. Bye now. Bye. If you've got anything you'd like her to review, just send it to podcast at getadditive.com. Next up is a chat with one of the loveliest chaps in the industry, Billy McWhinney. We both live in London. 
but couldn't manage to get it together for an interview, so instead, we arranged to have a Skype chat while he was visiting one of his daughters in upstate New York. I was to call him at 12 noon GMT, which is 7am East Coast time. I got my recording stuff ready. I gave him a couple of extra minutes because, in my mind, any time before 7am is an obscene time to be awake. And then I called. Welcome to Orange Answer Phone. I'm sorry, but the person you've called is not available. I got this lovely lady's voice another three times before I eventually got the gentle Northern Irish lilt of the man himself. And here he is, the advertising legend, Billy Mahwinney. I'm talking on the phone to Billy Mahwinney, who's in New York at the moment, visiting his latest grandchild. Um, hello, Billy. Yes, hi, you. Good morning. Very well, very well. It's, it's uh, just after seven in the morning. Are you, are you sitting there with a coffee? It is indeed. I've got a cup of tea in a uh, Union Jack cup. <laughs> it's what people do when they leave uh, Britain, I think. They try to take this with them. Could you give me a little bit of a, a potted history about you and your, your career in the industry? When was it you started? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I started, uh, and, and I, the only kind of date that I can remember, I, I'm now with my uh, second daughter. My first daughter was born uh, 36, 37 years ago. And uh, I went back to art college uh, the day after she was born. Uh, my wife and I married, mortgaged, little baby. Uh, a very good uh, friend and boss of mine, Alan Livingstone, suggested I go back to art college. And, uh, and off I went. And uh, at the end of those uh, three years, uh, Jay Walter Thompson, who were uh, running a uh, trainee art director scheme, offered me a job. And uh, I went to work from uh, from the village of Portavogi to the uh, hallowed halls of uh, Berkeley Square. Uh, I made uh, <laughs> the biggest life-changing move I, I could possibly uh, imagine. <laughs> I am now uh, kind of upstate New York. I'm not, oh, excuse me, I'm in uh, Westchester. And the thing I find right. kind of interesting about that, actually, if if, uh, if you or anyone uh, at all uh, else watches Mad Men, uh, Mad Men, uh, Don Draper lives up in Westchester in the early series of, uh, of that. And, and uh, what's fascinating is, uh, is the, the Mad Men that I see, even though it was Madison Avenue, uh, it, it's just like the life I led in the early years at JWT. Someone once said that, uh, uh, I mean, JWT was then thought of as the, the Gentleman's Club University of Advertising. And uh, the old joke was, if, uh, if all the secretaries were laid end to end, I wouldn't be at all surprised. <laughs> now, JWT was, uh, it was so good joining there, you actually did it four times, I believe. Is that right? Oh, oh yes, yes. <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I think they didn't notice I was away one of the times. Uh, I think <laughs> they think it's three. Uh, yeah, and I went over, my wife and I came over, and, and to be, uh, I suppose, uh, uh, almost at the time as well, that uh, we didn't settle very well. It was uh, the, the, you know, <laughs> the jump was we had by then we had uh, two little girls, uh, Lisa, my daughter here. I had we had her at the end of my art college days, so it wasn't all hard work. Uh, and uh, we just, you know, I was getting as usual. One gets paid a pittance, uh, and uh, wife and I found it difficult. I was offered a, a job teaching at the art college back in Belfast, and. Uh, the offer of the lifestyle, to be honest, was uh, kind of too irresistible for the family. So we went back home for a couple of years and uh, JWT <laughs> to their, I don't know, either eternal shame or credit, uh, got me back during the summer to do a bit of work and, you know, kind of, uh, and then asked me to come back after a couple of years and uh, paid me a bit more, thank goodness. And uh, so I had a, uh, I mean, really, I, I've always said I had a charmed life on, until I left JWT the third time. I, uh, because after a while at, at JWT and my second uh, stay there, uh, John Hegarty came knocking and uh, I went to work at uh, BBH for four or five years. And, uh, and that was, you know, so, so and then, then I went back to JWT and became creative director, executive creative director. So uh, I, I, to that point, you know, kind of, I, I, I've always maintained I was working with honorable, intelligent people. Uh, and then whether, whether I got too cocky or whatever, 
uh, I went to a, a CDP that was crumbling <laughs> and uh, realized that not everybody you worked with was uh, either intelligent or honorable. <laughs> so I kind of uh, <laughs> scuffled about a bit. I, uh, you know, then did a, a kind of, I did uh, Lintas for a while, I did O&M for a while, I did Euros. I had a great, great time actually then went to uh, uh, Falls in Edinburgh. And uh, they had a, you know, great young team uh, in the creative department. And, uh, you know, in, in the three or four years I was there, you know, we were, you know, kind of, we were punching well above our weight, as they say. We were beating the the big boys in London, you know, kind of for accounts and uh, winning awards. It was uh, kind of a great time. Uh, then I came back to JWT. <laughs> so about a year ago, I uh, left DJL of Manchester because... Uh, uh, as much as I uh, love Manchester, and as much as as often as my son and I are there, uh, we're season ticket holders. Uh, we, uh, you know, growing grandchildren in uh, in London. My wife didn't want to move up to Manchester, so for the, I think possibly the first time in my life, my wife might suggest uh, I did something to suit her. <laughs> so uh, she teaches, so so she was enjoying that. So I've been uh, the the the, two, the really interesting thing in the past year I have found is that I've, I've been working more and more with clients. And, uh, and, and what it, there's, there's a great scene at the start of Mad Men that summed up the start of, the, I mean, the, the start of my career in advertising. Uh, and and the, the, the guy, a, uh, a, an account man showing this secretary around the, the, the Sterling Cooper. And he, he points to the creatives, you know, kind of, he goes, those guys uh, write all the TV commercials, they do some press, uh, and they do a little bit of radio, and they give it all away for free. And then he, he points to an office, and he says, now in there are all our media guys. They make all the money. Yeah. And, and that's kind of how it worked originally. You know, we used to get 15% of spend. You know, agencies were making a bomb. You know, creatives were having a great time doing very little. You know, and of course... You know, in a way, the seeds of, you know, kind of all change and maybe the seeds of, uh, you know, a lot of agencies' uh, uh, problems, you know, we're in that we give the precious thing away. You know, we, we, and, and, and I think it, all of us have been sort of struggling and fighting with that ever since. Yeah, I've, I've heard uh, quite a few people actually in the last couple of years sort of uh, clamouring back to those days of getting the 15% commission on media. Yeah, never. It'll never happen again. Our, no, and, and and things obviously are changing now. What what other changes have you seen in your time in the industry? I, I think truly really the biggest change uh, on, undoubtedly, and I do remember, I remember some poor guy uh, at uh, when I was at college. Yeah, and, and when I was at college, we used to do lettering, we used to do letter press, we used to do life drawing. Things, you know, truly, I'd love to be doing now. You know, and and, and I think a lot of the great great art directors that I've worked with, uh, you know. Uh, used very much as part of their kind of creativity, all those basic kind of principles. Paul Warden, you know, kind of in, in that great book of his, It's Not How Good You Are, How Good You Want To Be, talks about, you know, expressing your idea. You know, if you usually use a pencil, try and use a paintbrush, a pink four-inch paintbrush, and just try and put, you know, obstacles in the way of the thing in your head and, and what you're getting out in a way. Uh, too many people, I think, early on, not so true now, thank goodness, too many people early on, you know, took what the computer said as the way to do the idea. You know, whereas, you know, you're using pencil trying to get a, an idea across. It's kind of, it's all about the idea. It's not about the pencil. And but, but one of the, the biggest, so this guy, he, he, taught, he came along in the middle of our three years and said, uh, um, lads, it's going to be all about computers. The only thing you'll have to worry about when you guys end up working is what to do with all your spare time. Because computers will be so great, they'll do everything for us. And he tried to start up this little computer course, and nobody went. God bless him. Really, it was kind of a. And uh, I wish I had. <laughs> uh, but the truly the, the absolute biggest difference from I started to now is agencies. You know, kind of as we were all called mostly. You know, used to take ideas and fresh thinking to clients. I feel more and more now clients are taking them to agencies and you know kind of people they work with you know it's, it's there isn't the sort of you know kind of and, and that's it as much to do with clients being you know kind of less 
you know, thoughtful about their business. You know, they'd come along, well, here's loads of money, run me an ad. And it was kind of easy. People bought the product, success. There was nothing, there wasn't too much to kind of learn or there wasn't too much to research and there wasn't too much to debate. Uh, and, and, and obviously over the years, more and more clients have kind of uh, done Harvard Business School, they've done research, they've done psychology, they've done everything that kind of, that they need to do to you know to make their understand their business and you know sell the product, uh, and, and I feel that, that certainly the, the last agencies that I was in, you know, are all uh, in a way coming to terms with that. You know, the clients brighter than they used to be, and uh, and they're not. And it used to be very much that the ad agencies were part of helping the the commercial side of the companies they were working for, but these days you're right that the brief is being written rather than by the agency. The brief's being written by the client and given to the yep. agency. What uh, what what flaws do you see in that? The, the one thing that I have uh, and, and I felt this for a long time, and and now I'm kind of in a way free of it because as I work direct for intelligent clients, you know, who have as you say, kind of they know their they know their product, they know their market, they know you know kind of more about it than. And an agency is going to learn in the short time some, sometimes that they've got. Uh, but the, the, uh, the, the issue, you know, I always kind of find, in, and particularly in bigger agencies, you know, is there, there are so many agendas within the agency. You know, the account man has a different agenda from the boss who's trying to suck up to Martin Sorrell, perhaps, or whoever owns them. You know, it's kind of there's a global big thing that somebody's working about, and there's a small little thing that's that you know creators sometimes at the end are trying to worry about. And in the midst of that, I, I found when I was working at Kellogg's at Leo's, for instance, uh, there was a very very intelligent, bright young man planner. But we always used to joke that, that in a way, what he did was he would take Kellogg's brief, translate it into double Dutch, try and you know teach us double Dutch. Uh, you know, to, to explain the brief, you know, and then we would do something in English which we'd translate into double Dutch to present back to him. And, and it just became a kind of tortuous, you know, tortuous kind of uh, uh, process. Uh, and, that, and he was so clever that he was applying, in a way, all this kind of cleverness to the brief and the planning of it and not, you know, to what we needed to kind of do at the end of it to get people to buy the product. I mean, it, it just got really kind of... And, and, and that... You know, and it's not sort of in a way, you know, perhaps contradicts what I'm saying about intelligent clients. But I mean, thankfully, there'll always be very bright people, you know, come to advertising. I think less so than than, than there used to be. Uh, but but uh, but uh, sometimes, you know, you can and and you know, it was Dave Trot who said, you know, kind of, you know, it's a, you know, the punter is your mother, you know, your wife. It's not, you know, there isn't a sort of, you know, big, huge, complicated uh, kind of thing in here to, you know. It, uh, Creators, I think their job is always to simplify things, you know, not complicate it. And I, I think there are a lot of complications get, you know, put into the mix sometimes. That uh, there's a great, great uh, piece. I don't know if you if you know a, a design group in Manchester called the Chase. Then mm-hmm. Then Casey's very first, a brilliant, brilliant uh, designer, as we used to call him, a very clever guy. The Chase's first piece of uh, direct mail that they ever sent out. Was a little uh, wooden carved elephant, right? And when you opened the box, there was a little story inside the box, and the legend read, "You know, we wanted to find out how you know the best Indian car- Indian elephant carver in India carved his elephant. So we went to India, we found out where he where he was, and we climbed the mountain, and we went to the master carver, and we said, Master, Master, please tell us, you know, how you carve such wonderful, you know, elephants." And the guy said, uh, Master says, well, I take a piece of Indian rosewood and then I take away all the bits that aren't elephants. <laughs> and, and, and I just thought that was just fantastic. You know, just a great way of, and, and I think sometimes, you know, we're trying to add on bits to make the block of wood an elephant rather than take away the bits that aren't elephant. Yeah, it's, it's the whole remove, remove, remove being the way to get to the simplest mm. form of communication. So um, would would you say it's now more exciting in the industry or just more difficult than it's been before? Uh, I think it's always exciting. Truly, I've, you know, I've, uh, <laughs> uh, whether it's my children, my grandchildren, what I do, really, I, I kind of think it's great. I think, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the uh, again, I, I read somewhere recently about uh, 
which you kind of find interesting and fascinating, you know, psychologists who have been, you know, kind of looking at how we decide things and how we choose products and how we make decisions. And, uh, and they believe, you know, that, that the decision-making has changed more, you know, in, in people's minds in the last 10 years than it has in the previous 100. You know, that people were, you know, that in, in the early days, you know, people used to say dramatize the truth, you know, look for a USP, a unique selling point, you know, find something and dramatize it and sell it and, and you know, all that kind of old sort of business. And the, the great news, you know, kind of that, that pleased me was apparently we're using more of our emotional side of our brain, you know, than the logical side, you know, because that's in a way the only thing we can rely on is the theory. You know, it's kind of you're going for, you know, it's kind of like, well, I know that says this and that says that, but I like blue. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of kind of, you know, kind of going back to kind of almost, you know, sort of just emotional instinct. So if there's these changes happening, do you think the industry's doing enough to keep up with changes in consumer behaviour? Again, I, I think what, and, and maybe it was, maybe uh, as my old colleague Nick Welsh used to say, maybe it was ever thus. Uh, but I, I sort of think uh, agencies, agencies and, and our business, whatever the right words are, I, I don't know what all the words are that are correct anymore either. Uh, but, but I think, you know, our business is chasing now much more than certainly than mm. leading, you know, kind of much more than trying to find out things. I think we're chasing our tail. Uh, John uh, uh, Hegarty said in one of his tweets the other day, if someone asks you what business you're in and you say advertising, you're in the wrong era. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I kind of, I, yeah, I mean, what, what I want to ask him, I'm, I'm saying him next week, I'm going to ask him, what, what do I say I'm in then, John? What is the word? You know, because it ain't digital. There was a, a program that Peter York did a few years ago, and, and he did it because he's a, a kind of, he's a, I think a, a parasite of what we do, quite <laughs> frankly. He did it because Mad Men was talking. No, he did. I mean, well, hey, sorry, that's, that's very harsh. I don't mean it that as harsh as that. He's a, an observer, shall we say, and, and uh, so he's taken advantage of Mad Men, and he, and he spoke, uh, he did a program on, you may have seen it on the telly, it was called The Rise and Fall yeah. of the Ad Man. And... Uh, I thought it was a terrible program. I just thought it wasn't well done, to be honest. I thought, you know, it wasn't that I felt kind of he was wrong or anything. I just, it wasn't very well put together. But I went to an IPA evening where he had uh, Frank Lowe, uh, Tim Bell, and uh, uh, Sir Martin right, Sorrell. Wow. It's funny, he's the only one I called Sir there. <laughs> they were actually all Sirs. Sir Frank, Sir Tim, and Sir Martin. You see a curried favour there. I just was saying. Anyway, he was talking to, and Tim Bell was fantastically funny. The old stories, the you know, the, the background, the, the statues, and, and it was just a fantastic evening. He was brilliant. Frank was a bit grumpy, and Martin was a bit uh, sullen, shall we say? But, but uh, uh, Peter York looked at all three of them, you know, later on, and says, "Okay, boys, if you know, you'll take my point that there was in fact a fall, you know, rise and there was a, definitely a fall. When do you when do you think that happened?" And, uh, and Tim Bell and uh, Frank turned to Martin and pointed at him and said, when he hired Doug Oh, media. wow. <laughs> and, 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 of course, then Martin started the defense of, well, you guys were making them feel awful, and you were, and, and, which is bollocks. He hired it off because he, could make, he thought he could make extra money. You know, and, I mean, digital was hired off because people thought, hey, I can make money out of that. I can, do you know what I mean? That's, instead of, and again, most, most things I think that have ever, you know, bothered or have been inflicted upon advertising or design, we have done it ourselves. Do you know, I don't think we can blame clients or the, or the you know, the, the climate, the economic thing. I, I believe most of, you know, kind of the fact that we were taking, you know, kind of, in some cases, 17% in the early days for not doing very much. You know, it kind of came back to haunt us. <laughs> you know, so everything is kind of, you look back and you go, oh, shit, wish we hadn't done that. <laughs> so do you think the future of the, of the industry is with everything coming back together again to be more sort of unified? And I suppose this term's 360 that people use. Yeah, I, listen, I, I, I passionately believe, you know, kind of, and, I, and this is my first football analogy of the, <laughs> uh, of the conversation. I, I'm amazed that First Dave Trott and then you. Uh, you know, <laughs> I know, but hey, listen, but it, but it, you know, there, there is no, you know, so, some of those kind of, you know, uh, presenter chats say there's no iron team. <laughs> and, and, and every, every success, you know, and, and it's interesting, you know, the, you're the greatest team in the world, you know, at the minute Barcelona. And you look at, and they are such a, a 
great a team of stunning individuals, you know, but you know, kind of they gel together, they work together, they pass the ball. They, I remember trying to explain to an American account man I worked with once. I was trying to say, look, uh, what your name is? <laughs> you know, we're, we're, uh, we're a team. As far as I can see, you're my fullback. I need you to be there. I need you to make sure the class doesn't slip something through, that we drop something. I need you, you know, sadly, I'm the goal scorer. You know, and and but but I will only score goals if you make sure that you've got that ball and you give it to my midfield planners, if you want to call it that, and they find a great pass. I don't want to. I mean, really, I want to score an easy goal. I don't want to. Score, I don't want to have to. You know, beat six players and da da Well, I do sometimes, but but you know, it's all about you know getting the ball, passing it, and scoring. And 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 I think you do that. You know, in a collective sense, not a. You know, kind of. I, I think. It, you know, and, and parents are part of that as well. It's not just a kind of, you know, sort of leave it to us, give it the ball, we'll play you and beat you. But almost anything, you know, I, I ever, you know, believe in or think about our business, you know, you can go back to Bill Burnback's head. And, uh, and you know, one of Bill Burnback's you know, most famous quotes, I think, was a principle isn't a principle until it costs you money. And uh, and uh, I obviously still admire, uh, you know, kind of uh, BBH enormously. You know, the fact that uh, last year they, they would give up Levi's because they didn't feel, you know, they were, you know, kind of it was in their interest and they were giving their best to a company that was trying to break everything up. Yeah. With Bernbach uh, talking about him there and him really being the father of the, the team structure of art director and copywriter, do you think that still is relevant anymore now that if we're also thinking about maybe things like interaction? Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't think it is. I don't think it's as, it, you can be as... Uh, uh, Kind of uh, simple as that, I'm afraid, really, or, or, or you know, maybe that was just the right thing to do at the time. I, I think that you know, the 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 duo or the trio or the when I when I worked uh, around the world, sounds flash uh, for JWT. Uh, it was interesting to find out that the copywriter art director team, you know, and, th- and this is now 15, 20 years ago, uh, was uh, you know, kind of still held on to in London, but everywhere else in the world. You know, kind of. I remember working in Brazil, and and five, six people would come in and present ideas to me. You know, they'd just been working together on it, and they, and they weren't. You know, there was no sort of me, 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 me. You know, I did this and he did this and nobody else. You know, there, there was much more of a collective feel. You know, kind of outside the UK at the time, and maybe you know, maybe we're just hanging on to it. There was one creative director I used to work for, and I won't name his name because I, I didn't really get on much, and. Uh, there was, there was one, one single item that I agreed with them on, and uh, I don't know if there is a sneeze of Norwich, uh, but, but uh, a group of us used to always talk of sneeze of Norwich as being possibly the worst agency in the world. Uh, and uh, and, and, we, and, and this, this guy used to say that if he took, you know, the, uh, John Hegarty, for instance, and he put him in sneeze of Norwich, uh, the work would still be crap. Because the team and the system and that you know just wouldn't allow him, you know, to do what he did so easily in BBH. But if you took you know kind of the leading art director copywriter from Smith of Norwich and put him into BBH, he would you know nothing would change at BBH. You know because the system's all about you know and again it's kind of it's like football you know put Eric Cantona on a pub side and they're still a pub side you know put me in a good United side and you, and you might notice. You know, because they're better around me. Do you know what I mean? It's all about, you know, kind of your rise to, you know, better environments, your, your rise to, you know, better, you know, kind of thinking, better support. And, and like, you know, like your, your kids and my kids, you know, kind of the, the one thing I do know about uh, creative directing is that you get better things out of encouragement and enthusiasm than you do out of, you know, dictatorships and, uh, you know, kind of uh, putting people down yeah. all the time. Yeah. So in recent years, with uh, digital work being now part of what agencies are doing, and you've sort of been in agencies where you've seen uh, digital work being part of what you would present as well, um, how would you judge interactive work in a way that's compared to the way you used to judge advertising work? I was hoping that I could finish with this, and I don't know how near we are to the end of it, but, but one of, the, one of the, the, my favourite ever and most quoted quotes from Bill Burnback, uh, when he was asked, in the early 60s, what advertising would be like in 20 years' time. 
he said it'll be the same in 20 years as it was 20 years before. You know, people with the power to touch people will be successful and people without that power won't. And, and, and I'll look at anything that anybody shows me and kind of try to imagine whether that's going to touch people, you know, with, with, you know, with the right result. You know, and, and that kind of goes back to, you know, and, and I'm sure you've heard this one, you know, Jeremy Billmore's stimulus and response joke or story. You know, because he always he says everything we do is, you know, sort of the predicate again is that the right word on stimulus and response. You you kind of you you should know what response you need to get. You know, I like that. It's new. It's whatever, and and therefore your stimulus has to get people to think that. But what you mustn't do is put your response in the stimulus because people just kind of switch off. And you know, it, it, and he tells the old story about you know if you go to a party. If you walk about and tell everybody you're very witty and charming, you know, they'll look you up or, you know, not speak to you or send you home. You know, whereas if you go to a party and tell a joke, you know, somebody might go, oh, he's quite funny, he's quite nice. Do you see, you know, so you've got to work at what the, the joke is or what the stimulus is. And, and I, I do, you know, I do believe it's, it's, uh, it's what, you know, what we all need to have a feel for and a think about, you know, whether it's this psychology about how people now changing how they look at things. I mean, that, that's, you know, kind of, you know, arguably the most important thing when, when people are, you know, tweeting and fish, uh, Facebooking, uh, Facebooking, that's quite, and we can maybe start <laughs> that one up, uh, that, uh, you know, to, uh, it, it's kind of, you know, how do they feel, what do they, and I always, I've always loved the, the uh, when clients come in and, uh, and, and this happened a lot in Manchester and I don't know if that's significant. The clients would come in and kind of go, uh, uh, I'd like a viral. And you kind of go, well, so you can't have a viral. Something becomes viral if you're really, really lucky. And, 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 and it will only become a viral if, you know, if you're prepared to let us do something that people really connect with and, and kind of like. And that usually means being a wee bit braver than, than you know, normally clients want to be. And, and I, I actually don't believe in virals that are just vulgar and, you know, I, I don't believe a viral is something that can't run on TV, if you know what I mean. You know, because most people say, let's put some shagging in it or something, and you go, no, that's not, that's cheap and tacky and horrible. Uh, but, uh, but, but bravery just in, you know, kind of sticking your head above the parapet. Uh, and and they, they don't get it. They think, no, no, no. And, and actually what they mean by viral is a cheap yeah. commercial. I still get asked if I'd get involved in virals. And you're absolutely right that people think about virals as something that you can't run on television, or particularly creatives think that. They think that we can do an, an advert that's yeah, just a little right. bit more risky. But you look at the most popular videos on YouTube and you find it's actually about little pieces of humanity. Things are incredibly genuine. Hey, it's babies laughing, it's cats not being able to get through a yeah. cat flap. I mean, I listen, I couldn't agree more, couldn't agree more. And I, and I, and I love that. Do you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, again, the, it's the words and the buzzwords. My, my, I played uh, a lot of Christmas with my, uh, uh, my grandkids have got this uh, charades game and it's ever so simple, it's just words. And there's kind of like, and, and they, but there's three categories. And one of the categories is action. And, and when, when we kind of, uh, you know, and each time we were doing it, we had to remind the younger one, because the, the littlest one's kind of six and four, and she was trying to do it, she was trying to join in. And, and, we, and the older girls would go, it ends in ing, this one ends in ing, because it's yeah. an action. And so I've always kind of gone, advertising is an action. Yeah. You know, digital yes. isn't. You know, so, so, so the words need to sort of, but, but I think we're always chasing, you know. But do you remember a long time everyone was talking about uh, media yes, neutral? And, and, and again, you've got to say, you know, people that are any good, you know, kind of, you know, and, and thoughtful and, and, and not just kind of, you know, oh, this is good, I'll do this. Uh, you know, kind of, uh, uh, surely they think that. Surely they think, what's your problem? What do you need to do? All right, well, people are doing this, so we need to tell them about this. Uh I mean, it 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 truly still has to go back to what's the problem, you know? How do we best solve it? You know, how do we, you know? How, and and of course, you know, it's it's all about uh, you know, kind of doing it for, you know, good getting good value, as they say now. <laughs> well, as the Americans always used to say, more bang for your buck. Yep. Thank you so much, Billy. Much appreciated. All right. Cheers, Dave. Bye. 
As I mentioned in a previous link, there's some more of Billy on the forthcoming Bonus Leftovers podcast. In that one, he'll be telling us about his charmed life and the stuff that he got up to with Sir Paul McCartney. Uh-huh. Well worth a listen. And finally, we've got some great top tips from Nathan McDonald. He's one of the founders of We Are Social. They describe themselves as a conversation agency and, my lovely international listeners, you'll be glad to know that they've opened offices in Paris, Milan and Sydney, as well as the London office, which is where I went to catch up with Nathan to hear his top five tips on social media. So my first point would be to understand the context of the conversation. Uh, and that means, firstly, to be appropriate to the platform that you're having a conversation in. So it's one thing to be uh, on your own blog and having comments that you're talking to or commenters that you're talking to. It's another thing to be on Twitter or Facebook and, and uh, having a discussion there. It, and it's also very different if you are a um, brand that's involved in uh, reaching out to other people on their blogs uh, or in uh, their discussion forums, because then you're certainly in someone else's territory and someone else's backyard, if you, if you will. Um, and it's important to, to play by their rules and, and follow the, um, the kind of conversational guidelines that they won't be explicit, um, but they'll be there in terms of the way the community is behaving. Um, so that context is really, really important. Um, it also extends to, to the what uh, in terms of what you're talking about and the language and tone of voice that, that other people are using. Um, just as you would behave very differently at a football match to uh, a funeral, you need to be really aware of the context and the, the types of things that people are talking about and the way that they're talking about it. So my second point would be to know who you're talking with. Um, think about it as understanding the actors in the conversation that you're trying to engage in. Um, if, you, if you think about them as individuals, um, either a, a group of individuals or just even a one-on-one -on -one conversation, um, the best conversations happen when you understand a little bit about the other person uh, or through that conversation you seek to understand a bit more about that person. Um, it's really about trying to understand uh, what will be valuable to them, either to pass on to their own communities and reinterpret and, and add, add something of their own, uh, or in the conversation you're having in a one-on-one in -on -one sense, um, what's going to make that conversation interesting and valuable to them? Um, so asking them questions about what they think, uh, as well as um, providing your own point of view, will hopefully give you a deeper understanding of what makes those people tick. Um, because it is really about the people that you're talking to, and the more that you understand them, the better that conversation will be. The next point would be about having um, a kind of a, a fluid conversation, and, and by that I mean remembering that it's a dialogue, remembering that the other person that you're discussing with or conversing with, um, be, it a, be it a community or be it an individual, um, they're going to want to guide that conversation a little bit themselves. They're going to have a little bit of their own agenda, even if it's a subconscious agenda, they're going to have a little bit of a, a place that they want it to go as it evolves. So having not having a fixed goal in mind when you start a conversation um, and allowing the conversation to take a bit of a fluid course is, is really important for the health of a conversation. Um, and it shows that you're behaving in a genuine, uh, a genuine way and, and value the conversation for its own its own merit rather than some kind of marketing goal that you've thought about before you even got into this conversation. Um, there's nothing wrong with having a goal in mind in your own sense in terms of who you're talking to and the types of things you want to talk about, but it's really important to let it evolve naturally um, and let it, let it kind of live and breathe as a thing into itself. My next point would be, uh, building on that, that third point really, um, is, is to be authentic and to be human in the way that you approach a conversation. Um, try to shift your mindset from being uh, a marketer or a brand or an idea that you're trying to spread um, and, and think about behaving just as an authentic, honest, transparent human being. Um, it's okay to be real, it's okay to make mistakes as long as you admit to them. Um, it's, it's really, it's, people will forgive you all sorts of things if you're just being human about it. If you try and act in a very corporate way, um, it doesn't, people have, have trouble relating to, to entities and to corporations, but they're very good at relating to human beings. So if you can bring the conversation down to a human scale, that really helps uh, that authenticity and honesty, and you get a much better reaction from people um, when you're engaging with them in a conversational space. 
And I guess to wrap up, the fifth point would be about quality over quantity. Uh, the quality of a conversation is much more important than having a huge quantity of conversations uh, most of the time. Um, if you think about having a, a really amazing half an hour conversation with someone uh, on a topic that you're really, really interested in, that's much better. You, you feel much more invigorated and empowered and alive after that half an hour of really incredible conversation than you do with having half an hour, uh, 20 half an hour long, fairly meaningless conversations with people that you don't really like. Um, and if you think about it in those terms, the depth of the engagement, uh, the quality of the engagement is actually probably the most meaningful thing to try and get out of all of this. So when we talk about measurement, we do talk about the number of people that we might engage in a, in a conversation, but we're usually much more interested in the depth of that engagement and whether people are truly paying attention to what we're talking about and, and uh, sort of presence in the conversation rather than just uh, clicking like on Facebook, for example, and then moving on and never coming back. So rather than measuring the number of fans or followers, um, although that is an important thing to keep track of, um, we're very interested in measuring um, the, the ongoing engagement and depth of engagement of those fans or followers. Um, so on Facebook, for example, um, the number of people that are coming back and interacting on a, on a weekly or monthly basis with uh, the content and the updates that you're posting. Um, on Twitter, the number of at replies, um, a number of um, people retweeting you rather than just the sheer number of people that have followed your, you and your brand. Um, and similarly on blogs, um, if you're getting a lot of comments on the posts, if you're getting a lot of people linking through to your posts, that shows that, that people are really engaged with that content. Um, and, and that's really valuable because those people are probably talking about it uh, either in their own networks, which you may not be able to pick up because you're not, you're not part of that network, uh, or even offline um, outside of the internet, which is also really, really valuable. So that's pretty much it for this episode. I've got lots more fantastic interviews to come, so I hope you're all subscribed in iTunes. If you are, please go and rate the podcast and say something nice in a review and send the link on to all your colleagues and friends who work in the industry. And please, wherever you are in the world, just drop me a line so that I don't feel so lonely on this side of the microphone. Tell me what you'd like to see covered give me suggestions of people that you'd like me to interview. Tell me what you like or hate about the podcast. I just want to hear from you. But I've taken up enough of your time already. Go and do some work, slacker. Bye!